It's Wednesday, May the 26th, and you're listening to Matters of Policy and Politics, a Hoover Institution podcast devoted to governance and balance of power here in America and around the world. I'm Bill Whalen. I'm the Virginia Hobbs Carpenter Distinguished Policy Fellow in Journalism here at the Hoover Institution. And while I have that title all to myself, I'm not the only Hoover Fellow who can claim to be a podcaster. I'm not going to spend the next five minutes reciting every podcast that we do. Uh, Best thing for you to do is go to the Hoover website, which is www.hoover.org. Go to to where it says publications and click on where it says podcasts, and you'll see the whole array of them in front of you. We do economics. We do history. We do do classics. We do uh, foreign policy, economics, you name but we cover the waterfront. You can subscribe to any or all of them. You can also sign up for our monthly pod blast, which delivers the best of our podcast to you each month. Hoover Podcast is one part of Ideas Defining a Free Society. Joining me today in this podcast is my colleague Herb Lynn. Dr. Herb Lynn is the Hoover Institution's Hank J. Holland Fellow in Cyber Policy and Security, and he's a Senior Research Scholar for Cyber Policy and Security at the Center for International Security and Cooperation, which is adjacent to the Hoover Institution on the Stanford University campus. His research interests relate broadly to policy-related dimensions of cybersecurity and cyberspace, and he's particularly interested in the use of offensive operations in cyberspace as instruments of national policy and in the security dimensions of information warfare and influence operations on national security. Herb Lynn served on President Obama's Commission on Enhancing National Cybersecurity, and he was a professional staff member and staff scientist for the House Armed Services Committee, where his portfolio included defense policy and arms control issues. Herb, thanks for coming on the podcast. Delighted to be here. Okay, before we get into deep matters of cybersecurity and uh, nuclear safety, I have to ask you this question. You describe yourself in your bio as a longtime folk and swing dancer and a lousy magician. That's true. How does one become a, how does one manage to be a lousy magician? Oh, well, being a lousy magician means you only know one trick and you can only sort of, you can pull it off only about 50, 70% of the time, 80% of the time. Um, but the, 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 the interesting part about it is that there is a, turns out that there is a deep connection between magic and cybersecurity. Which is? Um, well, which is that magic is entirely based on misdirection. Uh, you know, look over there, says right. the magician, while I do something over here and you never notice it. Right. And that's why something amazing happens. Um, and that's a lot of, you know, if you're a bad guy in, in, in cybersecurity, if you're a hacker and so on, you know a lot about misdirection. Nobody will destroy your hard disk by saying, um, you know, click here and I'll destroy your hard disk. I mean, nobody clicks on that. Um, they say, do this, you know, do, you know, click on this thing and you'll get a million dollars or something like that. Or, or, or some Nigerian prince will send you money. Um, and then you click on that and then your hard disk gets destroyed. So I mean, it's all, it's all a matter of deception. Uh, in, in, in that context. And that's what, you know, that's what a magician does. Magician, so, Harry, you know, so Harry Blackstone would have been one heck of a cyber terrorist is what you're telling me. That, that, the mentality would be exactly, it's the same, it's the same mentality. And I'll say this other thing. If you do a search on, on, on Google, do a search on Herb Lynn, cybersecurity and magic, what you'll get is a video of me and one of my students who is, who happens to be a professional magician. And we are doing a research seminar that happens to be televised in which we draw out some of the connections. So what he does is he demonstrates half a dozen magic tricks and he shows, then we go back over it and he shows you how he did them and the principle underlying them. And then we talk about how those principles apply to being a hacker. And so it's, a, it's about a 45 minute thing. I, you, you know, Listeners to this podcast might find that interesting. Okay, Herb, I'm not going to ask you to pull a rabbit out of your hat, but I do want you to help me make sense of our government's approach to cybersecurity. Uh, Here is what I know, and I'm a layman on this topic, so correct me if I'm wrong, Herb. Uh, My understanding is the National Security Agency collects intelligence about cyber attacks. My understanding is the FBI investigates said cyber attacks after they happen, and the Department of Homeland Security tries to protect government computers, but there is no federal agency, Herb, which is in charge of defending the American public against hackers, be they criminals or spies. Do I have that right? You have it partly right. Um, that is, you, 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 there, there's nothing that you said that was factually incorrect, but it's, uh, but there's a lot more to it. Okay, then edit what I just said. Correct, correct what I just said. Um, uh, so the NSA uh, does do some investigation of, 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 of cyber attacks, um, mm-hmm. but it also uh, perpetrates a lot of them. Mm-hmm. That is, what it does is it does it does a lot of what it calls signals intelligence. Right. And it uh, collects information 
from, uh, from around the world uh, in ways that are supposed to help American policymakers make better decisions. So it's basically spying on, 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 on the rest of the world. And to do this, they do a lot of penetration into uh, potential adversary computers. So mm -hmm. for example, you know all those things that we've heard that the Russians do, Russians and Chinese are doing to our computers? We're doing it to them too. And the NSA is doing a lot of that. Um, there's also an, there's another organization within the U.S. Department of Defense called U.S. Cyber Command mm -hmm. uh, that has a lot of uh, muscle and, and authority to take uh, to to defend the United States uh, against cyber attack, um, and also to uh, to conduct offensive operations in cyberspace. Uh, uh, when directed uh, to, to to do so, um, and, and the uh, and it also is, is, its third job is to protect the the, the, the defense department from right. cyber attacks. Um, I'll get back to this uh, business about defending cyber command defending the country in a minute. If I don't get mm -hmm. back, remind me. Right. Uh, but that's an important part. Uh, the uh, FBI has responsibility for. Uh, investigating and uh, uh, prosecuting essentially cyber crime. Mm -hmm. uh, that's cyber, bad things that happen in cyber that break the law or that violate the law here in the United States. Um, uh, so, you know, neither the intelligence community nor the Defense Department have authority to act within the United States. Right. Um, uh, but the domestic law enforcement agency, the FBI, does. Um, and so it, do it does a lot of that. It also has a some significant responsibility to keep people informed about the cyber threat to you, to the United States, uh, individual companies and so on, and spends a lot of time doing that. Um, the, the Once upon a time, the FBI was totally incompetent at doing this. Now the FBI is actually pretty good at, mm -hmm. uh, at, at, at you know, and now you, you, now some, now FBI agents actually know something about cyber. And there's a, uh, there's a division of, of, of cyber uh, within the uh, within the FBI, and they're very good. Um, so, Herb, if you're the president of the United States and you pick up the newspaper in the morning and you see that Colonial Pipeline's been hit by ransomware attack uh, to the tune of a 4.4 million dollar ransom, I believe it was. Uh, who do you, who's your first phone call? Is it to the FBI director? Is it to your national security advisor? Explain kind of how it would roll downhill for the president within the federal government. Well, probably the it wouldn't be. He, the president would have found out about it a lot sooner than it hit the paper. Um, right, right, right. And, and uh, right. some staff, so, so, some poor staff member would have had to write up a memo and, and you know send it up the chain of command. Right. And, and somebody would have said, "Oh, I don't know whether I can do an expletive on this show or not, but you know, oh hell, um, it would be stronger than that." Yes. Uh, it just happened. Um, and, and and that would be a you know, and and the president would 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 agree on this you know, with judgment on this, that this is a serious issue because it had potential to affect uh, uh, oil and gas supplies on, on, on the East Coast. That's a, mm -hmm. you know, that, that's a threat. Right. Um, and, and so, and, and it would go from there. Um, so that, that, that's, that's what would happen. It would be the NSC that would, uh, somebody, almost certainly somebody at the NSC, uh, would uh, would respond, you know, would, would be would be handling it and making the decision to sending it up to the uh, up up to the president. Um, but in the you know in a in a particular case in ransomware and and, and so on, that's well, just you know briefly what ransomware is is uh, I penetrate your computer system and I do something to it that makes it inoperable to you. Right. And then I say to me, I say to you, give me four point four million dollars, or else I'm going to uh, you know, or else I'm going to permanently throw away the key that will enable you to restart it. Right. That's what that, that that's what ransomware is. Right. Um, now, there are other versions of it in which you know I have the I have your information. I can threaten to release it and so on. But you know that that's a variant of it. Mm -hmm. And so you have to make a decision uh, as to whether or not you're going to pay me the money to get back up and running uh, or not. Right. And in this particular case, I believe the answer is Colonial decided that it was going to pay the money to get back up and running. Right now, so that's that's it. There's an there's an interesting question there. Okay, At, you know, and do, do they notify the FBI? Well, yeah, they you know this is a big deal, so they do notify the FBI. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but they can't do anything. You know, the FBI can't do much about it once, you know, they can now try to trace the money and find out who did it and try to arrest them and so on. But that's right. going to be very hard. Right. So here's, here's an interesting question that, you know, that you might ask if you were a ransomware person. Okay. Let's say, let's pretend for a minute that instead of asking for $4.4 million, um, I asked for a nickel. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's, it will cost you a nickel to get back up and running. Of course you would pay it, right? That would be, that, that's a no-brainer, right? You would pay a nickel to get back up and running. Right. And then, you know, if you were, let's, let's say I asked you for a billion dollars, okay? No way, you're not going to pay that. I mean, you, can, right. you can't even afford that and so on. So somewhere between a nickel and a billion dollars is a sweet spot, okay? Now, how would you define that sweet spot? My job as the ransomware guy is to figure out the most amount of money that I can get from you that would also be the least effort way for you to get back up and running. Mm-hmm. Now, but that requires a certain amount of judgment. It's more than a nickel. It's probably more than $100. Right. It's probably more than $1,000. $10,000, almost certainly. You know, but you know, you, you can see how this the, the, this logic goes. Now, to, to to do this job right, I have to learn a lot about the internals of the company. I have to know what its financial status is and what 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 can bring to bear and so on, and whether or not it has easy access to law enforcement and all this other sort of stuff. Okay, mm-hmm. but it becomes a psychological you know ploy. It's a, there's a negotiation game here that you know what I want to do is keep it under a threshold that. You you know that where it's just too much trouble for you to to do anything else. The easiest thing for you to do is to give it to is, is to give in. Um, and you know there are various proposals on to how to deal with it. Of course, all the law enforcement agencies say don't ever pay because you're just encouraging them. All of that is true, but you have a different problem. You don't care about all the other people. You care about yourself and getting your system back up online. Right. And so the decision that you have to make operationally is, what are you willing to pay to get back online quickly? And, you know, the, the, that's, a, so it's a, it's a question there of understanding your own psychology, how prepared you've been for this sort of stuff and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, you know, it's a, it, it's, it's a tough problem. Right. What's your guess, Herb, as to if, if the Colonial Pipeline incident is going to create copycat events? What you saw here was that the entity was able to shut down that pipeline and they got paid for it. Well, I don't know what you mean by copycats. I mean, ransomware has been around for a very long time. Right, but other, other, other entities looking at this and saying, okay, we hit a pipeline, we got $4.4 million. Why don't we take out a couple of banks? Why don't we hold banks hostage and get money out of banks? They're already being, they're already being held hostage. So mm-hmm. this is, I mean, it's, you know, it's going to, to the sure, there's going to be copycats on this, but there have been a lot of ransomware incidents in the past you know, year, two, three, four. The thing that's really made this a lot easier for bad guys to, to, to monetize uh, is the emergence of cryptocurrencies, right. which are, you know, which are hard to trace. Right. And, and there are people who say we should ban cryptocurrencies for that very reason, um, because this otherwise this untraceable money just becomes, a, you know, a criminal's paradise. Um, now, there are other, you know, there are a lot of other people who say, no, 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 I value financial privacy and so on. And if I'm not doing anything bad, why should I be suffer? You know, why should I have to expose my transactions and so on? That's, you know, that, that, that gets into another uh, debate about, you know, we have, we should have the right to live free, of, you know, free of this kind of crime. But we should also have, the, you know, the right to, to live free of, of privacy intrusions. All right, so Herb, Herb, there's news this week. The uh, DHS, Department of Homeland Security, is apparently moving to regulate cybersecurity in the pipeline industry for the first time. Um, the Transportation Security Administration, which is a DHS unit, uh, will issue security directives this week requiring pipeline companies to report cyber incidents to federal authorities. So um, it sounds like at least a small step forward in terms of this. At least. I agree. I mean, that's clear, it's clearly a good thing to do. Yeah. And, and you know, you, you could be forgiven for wondering why this hasn't been required in the past. Right. And the reason is that people don't want to report these things because it makes them look bad. Mm-hmm. But okay. there's a good reason to do it. 
Okay, let's shift now, Herb, and let's get into the question of national security. Uh, you testified at a House hearing at the end of April, and uh, what you talked about was, I found this very interesting the way you phrased this, you said that while the U.S. is not in a war with the likes of China and Russia, uh, the phrase that you described is that also we are in a state of what you called not peace. Right. And then you talked about the cyber component. So what, what is the cyber component, uh, Herb, to um, a United States that is in a state of not peace? Well, so what does not peace mean? We, we, the United States has historically drawn a very clear line between peace and war. We're either at peace or at war. I mean, by, by historically, I mean over the past, you know, couple of hundred years, you know, you know multiple tens of decades, um, we, we have defined and we're organized around concepts of peace and war. I think it was John Kennedy who phrased it in his novel. He said, what, a generation defined by war, but also steeled by it. Didn't he call it a hard peace, I believe? So. Well, but I mean, right. It's, it's, it's all these questions of a cold war, a hard peace, and so on. Those things are relatively recent in the nation's history. I mean, if you, you know, measured over the, 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 the long arc. Um, and and uh, the, the still, the idea that we have, I mean, our defense department is mostly oriented towards war. It doesn't have to be declared war, but it's war that is that that involves shooting. Okay, that, that so bullets, it used, to be, you know, used to be the Department of War. That's right. At one point, it was the Department of War. Um, and so now there's the interesting question of that there are now all, and nobody can challenge us really on the conventional battlefield right. at this point. Right. Um, and so that means that if you're a competitor of the United States, you're not just going to shut up and say, well, let the U.S. have its way. You're mm -hmm. going to find ways of competing with the U.S. that exploit its weak spots. Okay, mm -hmm. that This is what we call asymmetric warfare, warfare that we think is do doesn't count. Is, it's not exactly war in the usual sense of, of, of bombs and bullets and missiles, but it's not peace in the sense that the, 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 the relations between uh, the two countries are not characterized as being particularly friendly, right? The, you know, Russia is a, we're not at war with the Russians, that is, we're not killing Russian troops, but there is no sense in, 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 in which we are, except maybe in limited ways, in which you're really at peace with the Russians. Mm -hmm. So it's a not peace, it's, you know, they're trying to, um, they're trying to undermine uh, the foundations of U.S. society and, uh, and democracy and culture uh, right. in ways that weaken us. Um, China would like to do would would like to do the same thing to us because they see us as you know we're we're top dog and they don't like that. Mm -hmm. um, you know they they have you know the fact that we're top dog constrains what they can do. Um, and so there's a there's a competition. It's it's more than a friendly competition like you would find at the Olympics. Although it's an interesting question as to whether the Olympics are friendly either, uh, you know. But never mind that for a, a, a moment. I mean, it's not sports-like competition, but it, it it it's competition for influence and power and 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 uh, uh, and, and, and and so on. Yeah. Uh, and so that's that's what I mean by not peace. Now you, you Herb, but you throw North Korea into this as well, because what we uh, North Korea, which went after Sony famously a few years ago, because I didn't like the movie Sony put out. Yes, I would. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it, that we're certainly not friendly with with with, with North Korea. Mm -hmm. um, absolutely, um, and, and and there's there's a lot of not peace going on around the world right, uh, right now. Um, you asked about the cyber components. The cyber component. Well, there there I, I would point to two cyber components. One is there's the computer hacking, where the target of the hacking is the technology. That is, I'm trying to mess with the technology in some way, right. uh, uh, to steal information out of it, to corrupt it somehow, and, and so on. And then there's what I'm going to call the cyber-enabled uh, information hacking part, where the where that kind of hacking is not directed at the computer, but is directed at your mind and mine. They're trying to influence my perceptions of the world. They're trying to uh, make me react in certain ways that are favorable to their interests. Uh, and it's not me in particular. They're, they may be trying to make me matter at you. Right. I don't like you. And they're going to try to accentuate that anger to make me matter at you than I would otherwise be. So right. that, um, you know, before you might have been uh, a... Um, 
a political opponent. Now I want to turn you, the, the goal is now to turn you into a political enemy. Uh-huh. Uh, where the difference between an opponent and an enemy is with an opponent, I could work with you. Uh-huh. We might be able to find common ground. Right. But if you're an enemy, I have no longer any reason to talk to you at all. Now, obviously, if we can't talk to each other, we can't find any common ground. We're weaker. And that is the that 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 is the that 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 is the concern. You've been in poli- you know, as I remember, you're a, a former uh, staffer to Pete Wilson. So you're 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 no you're no stranger to the uh, you know the Republican versus Democrat kinds of of uh, of, of politics. Right. But you know, Wilson was governor in a time that seems quaint by now, <laughs> right? I mean. We, we would all call, you know, w- w- by comparison to what's going on now, Wilson was a complete moderate. Figure this way, Herb. Pete Wilson left office in 1999. When did Facebook, when did Instagram, when did Twitter all come online? Well, after that. That's the, next exactly. de- the next decade. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, uh, I, I, you know, I mean, I could disagree with Pete Wilson. I mean, I worked at House Armed Services Committee, okay? Um, I might be able to, you know, he was a senator, you know, for, for, for part of the, for part of his time uh, in his political life. I could disagree with him on some, um, uh, you know, on certain specific defense related issues. Okay. Okay. But we could work it out. I could talk, to, I could talk to one of his staffers and I could, you know, and I could understand where they were coming from. And, so, and there was the willingness to engage in that kind of conversation. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to do that now. So that it's the difference between you know that th- that's the difference between being being an opponent and being an uh, being an enemy, okay. and you know what they're trying to do is create enemies where they were formerly opponents. All right. Or speaking of senators, I'd like to read you a quote from Angus King, who is an independent senator from Maine, yes. and he said he was actually on a tour some other senators of um, some U.S. facilities. I think they went out to Minot, North Dakota, uh, particularly. And here's what he said: "Quote." The next conflict will almost certainly start with a major cyber attack to disable communications networks and communications between the command authority and the forces, whether it's an aircraft carrier, bomber, or missile site. Mm-hmm. Do you agree or disagree with the good senator? Well, the logic of cyber uh, of a cyber attack uh, and the technology says that if you're going to use it, uh, it's going to be the, among the first things that are used in, a, in an attack. Mm-hmm. Because if it turns out that if it's not successful, they won't start the attack. So they get to start. They they get to select the timing of it by when the stuff starts to work. Right. Um, and, and, and you know, even U.S. doctrine uh, posits going after the uh, command and control assets of the other guy to cripple their coordination. So that's. I mean, and yes, and so I I I I believe that in a next major conflict, the the, the command and control networks are going to be the the first targets. I don't think there's any question about that. Yeah, let's talk about that. This is what the military calls NC3, right? Which is nuclear command. That's the nu- well, that's the nuclear part of it. That's correct. Right. Nuclear command control communications. Uh, how up to date is cyber when it comes to NC3? Well, so the the last time that the current that, that the NC3 system was rearchitected was in 1985. Okay, correct. that's a very long time ago. Um, and, and so what it what it has now, it's based on, on basically a bunch of point-to-point systems that are all layered on top of each other. There's right. no coherent underlying architecture and so on. And even General Hyten, who was a former uh, U.S. Strategic Command U.S. Strategic Command commander, uh, said that he couldn't explain how the NC3 system works um, uh, because it was so complicated. Uh, and and uh, so. Um, it was at, it was done at a time with no internet, uh, so the internet isn't a big part of it. That doesn't say that it doesn't touch the internet from time to time, right. uh, but uh, the internet just isn't it, it it isn't based on the internet in any meaningful sense of the term. Right. Uh, and so, um, to the extent that you think that cyber is related to the internet, which in many ways it it, it, it is, uh, there it, it it's not particularly vulnerable. Um, so in, in the words of, of, of the strategic command, it's, you know, quote, fairly minimal at this point. doesn't mean zero, but right. it's fairly minimal. Okay. Right. Now we're undergoing, we are about to undergo a new modernization uh, of the 
NC3 system, uh, in which the current plans, at least as discussed publicly, call for something that is not exactly on the internet, but is IP-based. IP stands for Internet Protocol. Right. And it's going to try to use internet-like technologies to, to, to connect everything up. Um, then, you know, what you say is you have a network uh, that you would like to keep separate from the regular internet. Okay, yes, that's a good thing to do. But as it turns out, keeping networks separate, uh, keeping IP networks separate from the internet turns out to be a very, very difficult task. Not because it's technically impossible, but because it's managerially impossible. It's a management problem. It's very difficult to do that because people want to take advantage of the internet all the time. Um, and getting having the discipline to keep yourself separate is just too hard to maintain. Right. So I understand nuclear modernization in terms of producing better missiles. Missiles are presumably more accurate, fly right. further, easier to maintain. List goes on. Right. But what does what does modernized cybersecurity look like? Well, modernized, it's not so much modernized cybersecurity as a modernized architecture. What you're doing is you're replacing a hodgepodge of systems together with something that fits together in, a, in some sort of coherent way um, uh, that where different systems know how to talk to each other and exchange data and, 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 and so on. Uh, and then you have to protect all of those systems uh, in ways in using modern techniques of encryption and, 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 and so on. So digital encryption, just to take one example, uh, is much easier to do now than it was uh, um, in 1985. Right. Uh, you had encrypted links. You know there was encryption in 1985, but it was clumsy and analog, and it was very difficult to. It, it was very difficult to do. Uh -huh. uh, now it's much easier. Uh, there's, you know, you plug in a chip or you write a program to do the to to, to do to do the encryption, um, and there you have it. It's it's much easier. Uh, so, you know, some things become easier because of, uh, uh, be because of, uh, you know, because it's all digital and, and, and cyber, uh, and cyberish, um, and, uh, some things aren't, you know, some things get worse. And for the military, this falls under the U.S. Strategic Command? Well, U.S. Strategic Command has been given the authority to procure, uh, no, not to procure, wrong. They've given, they've been given the authority to, to specify the requirements for nuclear command and control. Okay. Um, and that's good because that's the first time that's ever happened. You would say it took that long to do it. Uh, yeah, it did. Because you, beforehand, uh, the party that was responsible were the military services. As you may know, the military services don't actually fight wars. Their job is to train, organize, and equip uh, the forces that then get given to the combatant commanders, like U.S. Strategic Command, mm -hmm. um, and so the the, the um, and they used to have all of the authority to specify what the requirements for nuclear command and control were. Right. Now, the big change is that Strategic Command has the authority to say what the requirements are, but it has no budgetary authority, and so. The services are still going to be paying for it. And you know the golden rule, right? Whoever has the gold makes the rules. Correct. Um, and, and, and they have the, uh, you know, the, the services will have the money. And so I fear that the services wishes are going to dominate. Now, the strategic commander will be in a better position now than it was before. But mm -hmm. my own personal view is that the strategic command should have the money to, to buy nuclear command and control stuff. Um, mm -hmm. But that's, you know. I don't know if you saw this, uh, but there was an op-ed in The Hill um, written by Paul Bracken. He's a professor of management and political science at Yale. Uh, and he testified for the Senate Armed Services Committee on Cybersecurity back in late April. Uh, and what he suggested was that uh, we need to revisit the Arms Control Disarmament Agency, ACDA, which was uh, created by JFK. Um, in 1961. Uh, in other words, one government entity which would look at the arms race, the space race, and artificial intelligence and cybersecurity. Uh, in other words, he wants one specific entity within the military structure to be to house this. Mm -hmm. Well, um, ACTA, the Arms Control and Disarmament Agency, was mm -hmm. actually never a part of the Pentagon. It was a part of the State Department. Okay, part of the State Department. Mm -hmm. um, well, that's important because uh, the, the, the 
arms control was regarded as a diplomatic measure. Um, now, they, of course, it talked to a lot of people over in, in the Pentagon. There were close relationships with it, but there was nobody in, in the Pentagon whose job it was to advocate for fewer weapons. Mm-hmm. Um, now, his, you know, Bracken's uh, view of it, um, I happen to share uh, that I think we do need an agency whose job it is to look at uh, new technologies and figure out how to minimize the risk of, uh, of doing certain things because the other guy will also do those things. I mean, you can't keep secrets for very long and, and anything that we do, the other guy's going to learn how to do. Um, and the search for unilateral advantage is a, you know, works only in the short term. So maybe the, the idea is better to, to try to head off certain things at the pass. Now, some things you can't do that for, and wisdom requires the, you know, wisdom requires being able to differentiate properly between the ones where you should try it and ones where you shouldn't. Right. Uh, Herb, I want to read you a quote from a very smart man who wrote, quote, the most advanced information technologies are first developed for use in the private sector, and most military applications of information technology are years behind those in the private sector. True enough. I believe. You know the author of those wise words. That'd be one Herb Lid. Yes, I, it could have been me. It might not have been me, but it, I, right. I, 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 it was, it was I, you, my friend. Uh, so here's the question, Herb. Um, you think, for example, of, um, of space exploration, yes. and you read time and again of technologies that end up in the private sector, but first developed through NASA and right. through exploration of space and Tang and other things such as that. Right. Why is it the case then in terms of cyber uh, technology, in terms of uh, cybersecurity, that the, that the uh, private sector leads and the military is, as you said, years behind? Well, there's several reasons. One is that the military, uh, military procurements um, are oriented towards systems that last for decades. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can right. you imagine using a PC that you had 10 years ago? I mean, it's impossible, right? right? Um, uh, right, so and, that missile, so that missile sitting out in the center of, the, of America, out there, out there in the prairie. That's right. They, they, you're right. The, the, I mean, and, and you know, the the B fifty two bomber first first B fifty two bomber was uh, flown in 19, 1960 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Pentagon currently plans to to have them running in, into twenty seventy or something like that. So that's going to be interesting. That's of course a new plane. You know. The, the, New wings, new engines, new struts, uh, new electronics, and, and so on. But it's still the same architecture. It's a, still the same old plane, um, same architecture. But you know, every component uh, up, upgraded is it the same plane or not? That's an interesting question. Yeah, the B fifty two, by the way, introduced February nineteen fifty five. Okay. Um, all right. Anyway, I was only five years wrong. Okay. It's older, it's older um, than me. <laughs> Well, right. I mean, it's a straight, you know, it's a weird world. Um, And so the military is oriented towards buying stuff that lasts a very long time. Right. Um, And it's just when you buy computers, they buy computers like the way they buy tanks. Right. Okay. And they're trying to change that. They understand they 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 are trying to change that, but it's very, very difficult to do. And so we don't know how to, the, the, that's not a nut that they know how to, uh, to, to crack yet. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so that's one, that's, that, that's one thing. The other thing is that the volume of uh, information technology that's, used, that's developed and used by the rest of the world um, is mostly civilian. That's where the demand comes from. Right. And if the military says, no, no, give us something special, they're going to say, well, I mean, so either tell us where the market is commercially or give us huge amounts of money to develop this just for you. Mm-hmm. And there's no incentive to, 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 to do that. Okay. That's why they're behind. All right. Uh, what is the government relationship with a university like Stanford, for example, or any college in America that has a lot of bright engineers, people who are doing very cutting edge things when it comes to cybersecurity? Is the government working with universities? Is the government trying to recruit bright minds out of universities? Or is the government playing catch up? Or are the bright minds just going to the private sector? Well, so that's a, that, that, that's a very interesting question. I mean, the, 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 usually the problem there is, is that um, 
the private sector has to have, uh, you know, is, is able to pay you a lot more. Right. right. So, that's, so that's one issue. Okay. Um, but it's not just pay. Okay. I, I have to emphasize it. It's not just pay. In the, it, you know, as a 23 year old graduate out of Stanford University, I could get a job at perhaps at, you know, at, at, a, at a company. Um, and in 18 months, the code that I've written is going to be serving customers. The government, with certain exceptions, certain important exceptions, the government doesn't work like that. That's not how that, that, that you know, the, you're, you're, what you propose to do is going to be reviewed and that is going to be reviewed and that's going to be reviewed and, you know, getting it through the bureaucracy is going to be really, really, really hard. Right. Now, they all are in principle are aware of this, but the, 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 the problem is that the, I mean, you can say whether it's a problem or not. The, the problem is that the way the procurement system is organized, is organized to ring out risk. Okay. Well, Silicon Valley is the very epitome of risk. Right. Okay. And, and, and if you're not willing to, you know, and everybody in government says, yes, yes, it's okay to fail until you actually fail. Okay. And then somebody comes after you. So nobody believes the government promises to not come after you if you fail. So what's the incentive? And so the, it takes a special person to want to, to care about to, you know, to, to be willing to work in the government and in, in, in the government environment. Right. Um, you know, you got to be willing to wear a tie. And, and, and you know, there, you know, it, it, it's very interesting when you at, often when you ask people um, to, uh, to, you know, Silicon Valley types to come in. The first question they ask is, do I have to wear a tie? Right. And the reason they ask that is that it's the answer is a symbolic answer because if the answer is yes, you know that it's going to be in a, a place where they just don't care. You know, they care about appearances, and, and and it doesn't matter. There's a story, okay, which I'll tell you. It's very interesting. Um, uh, Ash Carter uh, and I think his deputy. I'm not one of those two. The former Defense Secretary, Ash yeah, Carter. right, and you know, uh, former Defense Secretary and his and his deputy had asked for a meeting uh, with a couple of uh, Silicon Valley, uh, you know, techie guys, um, and they showed up early at the, the at the meeting. Not they, the the, the Silicon Valley guys came, showed up early at the meeting, um, and the colonels or whoever were there sent them away because they weren't dressed properly for the meeting. And Carter, as far as I, the, the way that the story goes, Carter ripped those guys a new one um, and, and, and said, if you ever do this again, I'm gonna make sure you're, you know, you're, you're banished to, to Alaska. What was the problem? Was he wearing a sport coat and open shirt and not a tie? Well, it was the, the the point was that you know the, they were trying to bring a Silicon Valley spirit to Washington D.C. to try to understand how they could help, mm -hmm. and these jackass colonels said you weren't dressed for the part, mm -hmm. and and you know so it's it's that kind of mentality that 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 you know that that partly inhibits the uh, you know the cooperation. Let me ask you a financial question, Herb. Uh, we're in a rather unique period of, of history in this country where a trillion dollars just doesn't seem like a big amount of money anymore. The, there's an infrastructure debate going on in Washington right now. The mm -hmm. Republicans have countered with a trillion dollars. They're being mm -hmm. called cheapskates. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I could get by on a trillion dollars, even in San Francisco, real estate yeah. there. Uh, here's the question, Herb. If money were thrown at this problem, this challenge for cybersecurity, where should the government invest? I'm not sure that money is the problem. What is the problem then? What, what is the challenge? The problem from my standpoint is the following. We always want our computers to be doing more for us. We want our computers to be better. We want our computers to be faster, easier to use, more accurate, to, to be used more, process more kinds of data, more interconnected, all this other sort of stuff. Okay. We want them to sing and dance and do all do 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 do, do all kinds. Do, do, do all kinds of things. The problem uh, here uh, is that if you do more 
if, if you do more, uh, want the computer to do more, the computer systems you have to build are going to become more and more complicated. They're right. more and more complex. More complex systems are less secure. More things to go wrong, more places to screw up, uh, more people involved, and so on. Okay. Mm -hmm. So unless we can get a handle on moderating our appetite for new functionality, we're going to be always demanding systems that are inherently more and more insecure. Right. Now, you can moderate that. You, 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 you can sort of make that situation a little bit less, uh, less bad. But that's fundamentally the underlying trend, okay? The more you want your computer systems to do, the more complex they are. Every security analyst says that complexity is the, uh, it, com complexity is the enemy of security. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and so until you get a handle on the complexity, you have to get a handle. You, 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 you can't do it with security. That means that the thing which you and I have most prized in American society uh, you know, in competitiveness economic, is innovation. Mm -hmm. What I'm questioning here is uh, what I, I'm saying is that if you want unlimited innovation, you're going to have you you will pay for it in security, and mm -hmm. that means that you're going to have to limit your demand for innovation if you want more security. That's a terrible trade to have to make. Yes, nobody and nobody knows how to break that coupling. And in fact, what happens is that people all given a choice between more innovation or more security, they choose for more innovation and they get less security. Mm -hmm. So that means you have to find some way of dampening the demand for innovation. And there's, nobody knows how to do that. And that's a, that's a terrible thing for me to say at Hoover, right? Yes. I mean, I, you know, that, that, this is a terrible thing. And I recognize how unpopular, un, unpopular that statement is. But that, I mean, that's why. Um, uh, I, I think that's why we have uh, our our systems are fundamentally insecure uh, because we want them to do everything. Security is only a tax. Security is a it, 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 it's a uh, it's a penalty. It only is a cost center. It's never a profit center, and that's the problem. One thing we haven't talked about is the offensive component to cybersecurity. Right. In other words, people hear of the Colonial Pipeline hack. And they think, okay, what can we do to the bad guys? Or the same thing with North Korea right. uh, tries to shut down Sony Pictures. So right. I know you can't tell me what the federal government has going in terms of cybersecurity, but what is a sensible policy for the United States? So, for example, you, you, you know, Israel. Israel is a great example of this. Israel, who knows what Israel does? But from time to time, there are stories of you know Iran's nuclear pro program getting messed up. Why? Right. Israel could hack into it and do all sorts of great mischief. So. Does there also have to be sort of a mischievous component to our cybersecurity policy? There is a there is a mischievous component to our cybersecurity policy. We we now are open. We openly endorse the idea of offensive operations in cyberspace as military uh, as military options under some set of circumstances. Right. Um, we didn't. You know, ten years ago, let's see, ten years ago it was implied. Right. It's now it it, it is now. Open, you know, that's now part of state. That's now a part of stated U.S. policy. So we now have the option of creating, uh, of going on the offensive. And in fact, um, the the U.S. Cyber Command has announced a strategy of what it calls defend forward and persistent engagement. Mm -hmm. And their strategy calls for basically harassing harassing the enemy, harassing adversaries. Right. Uh, in cyberspace, with the intent of forcing them to spend more off more resources on defense than on offense mm -hmm. than they than they are now, thereby reducing the, the their offensive capabilities on us. So you, you can't be more you 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 can't be more blunt than that. Right. Uh, we're we're doing it, and and we hope that that will have some effect. Right. But this goes back to the idea of not peace. In other words, that's right. Who who do we do this against if we, they are not a declared enemy of the United States? Al-Qaeda, I guess, technically is a declared enemy. We are at war with Al-Qaeda. Right. We're not at war with China. We're not at war with Russia. We're not at That's war with Iran. Right. That's a lot of bad right. actors out there who we're not at war with, but you're saying that there's still an aggressive component to U.S. cyber policy. That's correct. And, and, and that's, that's an interesting question as to how we, you know, how and to what extent we should be pursuing that. Mm -hmm. um, there are people who will say that this is a bad thing to do. 
Um, the counter to that, that, that some people, including me, say is, well, we tried not doing that. We tried being relatively peaceful uh, and, and restrained, and look what happened. So, you know, who knows how it is going to play out. Okay. Uh, final question for you, Herb. Uh, you have a book coming out soon, correct? Yes, sir. Tell us about it. Uh, the book is uh, should be out in uh, October on um, uh, Stanford University Press. It's called Cyber Threats and Nuclear Weapons. And what it does is it looks at the, the full range of possible cyber threats against the U.S. nuclear enterprise, which mm -hmm. includes not just the command and control stuff, which is important, but it includes... Um, issues related to the warheads uh, themselves, the nuclear explosive devices, the nuclear mm -hmm. weapons, uh, the delivery platforms, um, uh, nuclear planning, nuclear operations, uh, and so on. And as it turns out, um, most people who, when they, you think about cyber and uh, nuclear uh, operations, they mostly think about um, command and control. And that's an important thing. Don't right. get me wrong. It's very important, uh, but it's not the only thing. And, and uh, the fact, you know, the possibility that a bomber won't work because of a cyber attack uh, is, you know, sort of bad too. Uh, so it, it goes through what you, it, it, it makes that case uh, and then sort of talks, I think, about cybersecurity in ways that uh, people don't really appreciate. In particular, most people don't appreciate the fact that cyber is not just a technical issue. Mm -hmm. okay? Here, best example. When was the last, I mean, how many times have you ever seen a going into building and seen a door that says, do not prop open this door and it's propped open, right? I mean, you've seen that, you know, you're smiling, right? You, yes. You've seen this a hundred times. So have I. People ignore security in favor of convenience. And the directive is, you know, from top down, from the fire department to the CEO and so on, you post those signs and so on. But nobody's auditing that. Oh, nobody's auditing that. Okay. So the difference between somebody at the top saying we have a policy that promotes cybersecurity and getting actual cybersecurity on the ground, that's a very, very big leap. Mm -hmm. And people don't understand that at all. So Herb, before an entity decides it wants to test our cybersecurity in terms of our nuclear uh, defense system, what do they do exactly? Do they, you mentioned going after warheads, do they go after a missile? Do they just try to shut down a, a base communication system? What would be kind of, in other words, how would they, how, what feeler would they put out? I think the answer is they try to do everything. That's what I would do if I were trying, you know, there, there's certainly people trying to hack the, the, uh, the Department of Energy. Certainly mm -hmm. people are trying to hack the nuclear lab. There's certainly people trying to hack Lockheed Martin. Um, they're, you know, makers of the F-35, uh, whatever. I mean, they're, they're going to they're gonna be trying to, hack, trying to hack everybody. It's a full court press because you don't know whether any of those things are going to work. You don't know which one will work. So they're going to hack everything. Okay. And of all the bad actors out there, who's, who's at the top of your list? What, what nation should we be looking at? From what I can tell, the Russians are just as good as the United States. And they are very, very clever and, 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 you know, they, they do all of the right things about trying to, to penetrate and, 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 and so on. And they are the ones who have the most, uh, you know, the most at stake. Yeah. I mean, the U.S. But, and have 90 percent of the nuclear weapons in the world. Right. But when you talk about Russian cyber, the word meddling comes in the conversation, be it election meddling, going on social media, things you were referencing early. Uh, does Russia want to financially hit us with the with the pipeline? Do they actually want to go after our nuclear system or is this just more of a case of Putin just wanting to disrupt democracy? Well, I think, I mean, certainly Putin wants to disrupt this democracy. There's no question about right. that. Right. Um, are the Russians behind Colonial Pipeline? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Um, right. But it may be, I mean, here's another, here's a plausible scenario. Mm -hmm. um, it could be a Russian mob gang that yeah. went after Colonial Pipeline. Um, and Russian mob gang, you know, cyber mob gangs um, uh, operate, uh, they commit financial crimes all over the world. And uh, Putin says, I'm not going to prosecute you unless you, but don't go after Russian systems. Right. And if you go after Russian systems, you're in big trouble. Right. But otherwise, you know, you can take, you can take what you do, what you want, and we're going to leave you alone. Right. So it's, so it's not sanctioned, but it's okay. Tolerate. You know, right. Tolerate. It's tolerated. That's right. right. That's right. That's right. And, you know, maybe somebody's getting a cut. Who knows? 
So final question, if I gave you 10 minutes to talk to Joe Biden about this, what would you tell Joe Biden? Uh, I'm going to tell, I would tell him something that's not very, uh, that, 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 that is not very popular. Um, so only 10 minutes because every profile I read about him, apparently he doesn't like long meetings. He uh, doesn't have a long attention span. So you've got about five or 10 good minutes to really get his attention. And that's fine. Uh, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, what I want to do is I want to put something on the scale. Of, uh, I want to get something to get um, everybody paying attention to cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. Um, and government, the top down government directors won't do it. Um, and I personally believe that the way to do it is to uh, subject uh, the vendors uh, and users of information technology products and services to liability for cybersecurity breaches. Mm-hmm. That uh, they, they, they should pay. Right now, all the incentives are on the other side uh, to create fancier systems that do more and so on. And if they, and if they had to... Um, do take, pay more attention to cybersecurity uh, when they rolled out their products and, and, and maintain their services and, and so on, um, uh, we would all be better off. And, and uh, if there were some liability attached to their fa- failure to do so, they would do it. Now, this is a proposal that would be very strongly opposed by uh, a lot of people, um, uh, but I think it's the only way to do it. Okay, good. All right, Herb, we're going to cut it off at that. I look forward to reading the book when it comes out. Good. Uh, Buy many copies. (laughs) Give it to your friends. I will. I sure appreciate your time today. Thanks so much. You've been listening to Matters of Policy and Politics, a Hoover Institution podcast devoted to governance and balance of power here in America and around the world. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to our show. We do at least one of these a week. And if you wouldn't mind, please spread the word. Tell your friends all about us. Give us a listen. The Hoover Institution has Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter feeds. Our Twitter handle is at Hoover Inst. That's at Hoover, I-N-S-T. Herb Lynn is on Twitter. His Twitter handle is at Herb Lynn Cyber. Let me spell that for you. H-E-R-B-L-I-N-C-Y-B-E-R at Herb Lynn Cyber. Uh, I also mentioned at the beginning of our podcast, the Hoover Institution's website, which is www.hoover.org. While you're there, sign up for the Daily Report, which delivers the best work of Herb Lynn and his Hoover colleagues to your inbox weekdays. By the way, Herb is also affiliated with the Center for International Security and Cooperation in Stanford Speak that is called CSAC. And the website for that is www.cisac.fsi.stanford.edu. csac.fsi.stanford.edu. For the Hoover Institution, this is Bill Whalen. We'll be back soon with another installment of Matters of Policy and Politics. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution where we advance ideas that define a free society. For more information about our work and to hear more of our podcasts or see our video content, please visit hoover.org.